We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your own podcast right here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. It's something that I wish I would have had when I was first uh, getting into the podcast game would have been extremely helpful. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, and that includes your boy on uh, January 14th, so tune into that. Uh, access to our community Discord and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. On top of that, Blue Wire is going to help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. The best part is you can get this all for only $15 a month, the same rate as other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. I'll pull back the curtain a little bit. I uh, paid a hosting platform more than this when I started out my podcast, and they were terrible. Uh, again, this is something I, I really wish I would have had uh, getting into the podcast game. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that is bwhustle.com join. Blue Wire. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. Uh, Wrapping up the month of February, big thanks to everyone who has returned to the podcast now that we are back covering sports movies after that that little detour into Eastbound and Down. It's been a great month. We've covered Fever Pitch. We've covered Friday Night Lights. We've covered Seabiscuit. And uh, today's episode is, is a movie that... I will say up front, probably not up to the caliber of those, but um, I'm excited for my guest returning to the podcast, making what I believe is their fifth combined appearance. I don't have have that off the top of my head. I probably should have done some research before we started recording, but it is Jeff and Emmett Perlman. Guys, welcome back to Big Screen Sports. Yeah. I think, you know, if we if we appear enough times, I don't want other people to be jealous, other guests. So I think one day... Um, 
we'll all wear the same number and they won't know the difference between us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's the move. I, I'm doing the exact opposite of what you're doing with your pod, Jeff, on your pod. I, I'm going to do your promo for you, by the way, because I'm I'm such a fan of your work now. I can just do it for you. Jeff has a podcast, Two Writers, uh, Two Writers Singing Yang, new writer every week. Which is which is crazy because I once I find uh, once I find good guests who are willing to take the time take an hour out of their day to talk about sports movies I just pester the shit out of them so that's why I have Jeff on so much uh, but Jeff your pod every Tuesday correct uh, yeah I put it up either Monday night or Tuesday morning and uh, I like your podcast more because I think it's a more fun subject but I appreciate your kind words I am a well I'm a huge fan of your pod it is such a resource for anyone who is doing any sort of writing um, so I mean it's right up my alley uh, you also since our last podcast your book has dropped uh, three ring circus one of my favorite reads of the year I I mean anyone who's a sports fan you don't even have to have been a fan of the Shaq Kobe Lakers but it is Jeff three ring circus was awesome where can the folks get it uh Everywhere, or I think everywhere online and, you know, bookstores. And you can also, if you call my son Emmett, he will sell you his signed copy for $10,000. Yeah, I, I get them at a good deal. I respect that hustle, Emmett. I, I really, I really, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Um, you, sh- you should actually, you could open a side eBay store, just call it Jeff Perlman's Stuff, and just start mm-hmm. And start just sell dealing. it, like take random things from his office and just sell it. You need to find that old hat he used to wear when he was writing for Sports Illustrated. Oh, I hate, I hate that and, hat. And put that up. Because, Jeff, you still have it, don't you? Um, no, I don't. I lost it in a tunnel at uh, what was then Pac Bell Park in San Francisco. It fell off my head. And I didn't bother to get it. It was the end of the line. I knew it was time to move on. And that was it. <laughs> that that park will always be Pac Bell to me. Yeah, me too. That, I don't even know what, what it's it called was. now. I don't even know what it's called now. It is, uh, it's, is it AT&T or has it turned into Oracle just like the Warriors Park? I am, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But um, today we're talking about stadiums and baseball that are far older than Pac Bell Park. Um, talking about a very important baseball story. Uh, we were talking about 42. Uh, the 2013 uh, American biopic, 1947, Jackie Robinson becomes the first African-American to play in Major League Baseball in the modern era, era when he was signed by the Brooklyn Dodgers and faces considerable racism in the process. It starred Chadwick Boseman, Harrison Ford, and Nicole Bihari. was written and directed by Brian Hegeland, who also wrote A Knight's Tale, which is a movie that was covered on this podcast, Man on Fire, and L.A. Confidential, and I will say off the bat, uh, those are three movies I like a whole lot more than this one, uh, but it it did get an eighty one percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and I I, I want to set a tone. I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to trash this movie the whole time. It does do some things uh, very well, but I mean, first and foremost, w- with this one, I don't think, especially now, I I don't think you can watch it and not think about w- the the tragic passing of Chadwick Boseman. I think that. That that hangs over this movie, you know, throughout throughout the um, you know the entire thing. Don't you think for a lot of people this is the first they knew of Chadwick Boseman? I think this was the introduction. At least for me, it was the introduction to Chadwick Boseman. It was the introduction for me. I mean, he came on. I mean, he was only he was thirty four when this came out. Like for a movie star, right. it, it's kind of he kind of came on late. He did some he did some TV. Like he he was doing stuff. Uh, all through the 2000s, it was kind of like TV, it's bit parts, and then he gets this, and suddenly he is he is Jackie Robinson, and then he then he's in Draft Day, which is a an interesting sports movie to say the least, but then he, he's James Brown, he's Thurgood Marshall, and then he's Black Panther. 
and it's just this rapid rise for him. He is insanely talented. You can, you know, you can see it in this in this movie a lot. But it it definitely it definitely hangs over. It's it's been bitter. I, and I think his last two performances as well. Did did you guys uh, catch Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Defy Bloods on Netflix this year? This past year, we did not. No. Uh, both excellent. Defy. We were actually we were talking about Spike Lee before, and we'll talk about Spike Lee a little more here in a little bit. We were talking about Spike Lee before we started recording. Um, Spike Lee's most recent. Uh, he's Chet Bozeman is fantastic in that. Uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is a stage adaptation. Um, yeah, he's he's great in that. He just got nominated for a Golden Globe for it. But um, you know, you watch this one, and it's. I mean, it's a bummer. He's he's a joy on screen, and it's just it's just a damn shame. I saw him in this movie, and I didn't actually know his name, but then I saw him in, like, Black Panther, and I was like, oh, that's the guy from 42. So that's how I knew him. I just remembered him from this movie. Yeah, he shot up so quick after 42. It really, really, like, um, just just shot him to start him. Jeff, what were you going to say? I was going to say, so I'm not... It's interesting, because if you remember, I, I had texted you about doing this movie... And it wasn't that long after he died. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of, I think your response was really like, you want to wait a little also because you don't love this movie. And <laughs> I really, I think to crap on this movie is not to crap on Chadwick Boseman. Like I think Chadwick Boseman, I asked Emmett before, he said, who do you, before he came on, I said, who do you think was the best person in this movie? And he said, isn't it obvious? And I think Chadwick Boseman was great in this movie. Um, he was great in a not great movie. And there's probably something impressive about that. It's not a great movie, but he was great in what they asked him to do. And yeah, any exactly anything about this movie that's good is because of Chadwick Boseman. Is because of that charisma. And I mean, he makes a lot of this, you know, a lot of this stuff that is kind of just there. It, it's there. the The script, whatever, whatever was written, whatever the the surface of this movie was, it really wasn't elevated beyond that, except when with whatever Chadwick Boseman is doing. And I, he brought that charisma and that to, to anything like he was, I don't know. You guys probably haven't seen 21 bridges, which is basically like kind of like a garbage crime movie. Uh, but he, he's still really good. Like he's one of those guys who was just good in everything and elevated everything he was in, you know, no matter the, the quality of the movie around him. And, um, you know, it speaks a lot to his talent and, yeah, this movie would have definitely been much worse for wear without him. But, um, you know, let's let's diving into the IMDb trivia. And, and the most notable, I think, piece of trivia is that Spike Lee had planned to write and direct a film based on the life of Jackie Robinson and had it set up at Turner Pictures uh, in 1995. The studio wanted to release it in 97 to coincide with the 50th anniversary of Robinson's Breaking the Color Barrier and courted Denzel Washington to star the project fell apart in 1996 over creative differences. Imagining what that movie could have been, or if Spike had just taken the helm of this one in 2013, because you know Spike and Chadwick Boseman produced something really great six years later. I, I think that, especially if you know that beforehand, and I think even before I knew that, I was like, this seems like something Spike Lee should have done because a few years earlier, a few years before, you know, he was going to do. The, uh, a Jackie Robinson movie. He had done Malcolm X. He seems like the perfect person to to take on this project. So I grew up watching Spike Lee movies, and I'm a diehard, diehard Spike Lee fan. And I agree with you. It's a shame. And it's funny. Before he came on, I texted a, a really good friend of mine, is Jonathan Ige. He's a writer, 
And he wrote a book, Opening Day, and it was a, it, the story of Jackie Robinson's first season. And I asked him what he thought about this movie. And one of the comments he had, and I agreed a thousand percent, and it's going to sound weird, is it should have been a blacker movie. Like, it was so much about Harrison Ford and Harrison Ford. Em and I have been making fun of Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. He's so grumbly. He sounds like he's always like he has something in his throat. He took this role just so he could buy another plane to crash. Yeah, it's so it's so distracting. And I just think like this should be a gritty like I felt like I thought there were two stars in this movie. I really did. Two standouts, Chadwick Boseman. And I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Alan uh, Tudyk. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's a legend. He's a character acting legend. And he was so good as the vile mm-hmm. Phillies manager. So good. And I feel like that, if they could have channeled that more in the movie and fewer love scenes between, you know, Rachel Robinson, who a, a great actress who was wasted in this movie. Um, if they could have had far fewer Harrison Ford monologues, like the freaking penguin, it should have had a, a sort of rough edge to it. This story has a rough edge to it. And this movie did not. It had a big gloss over it. And I think that was my biggest problem with the movie. I felt like they kind of encased the character of Jackie Robinson and the entire story kind of in glass. Like, hey, we're not going to get too close. We're not going to get too gritty. It's going to be very surface level. It's going to be like the display you see at the Hall of Fame. It's going to be... We're... It felt like a movie... I think part of the reason they did that is because... It seems like they were trying to maybe make it for like a slightly younger audience, like a movie that a history teacher could show their class on like a like end of the school and they could just like they could play it for their class. That's a really astute observation. Something well, because something I I had thought while I was watching this and, and Emmett's a little too young for after school specials. But Jeff, you remember the after school specials. It seemed kind of like an after school special, but with Hollywood budget and a, a potential like future Oscar winner acting, which after school specials did not have back in the 90s. I just I agree with everything you just said. I definitely agree with Emmett's point. It's like they made it to be a movie that kids will go see. And everyone can walk away feeling good. You know, like, that's the thing. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's so Hollywood. It's supposed to make you walk away feeling good. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think Spike Lee would have made a dark, edgy, hardened, you know, jagged, like, broken glass kind of movie. And I do feel like Jackie Robinson's story, and especially his debut in baseball, calls for that. I mean, it was so... There's a one scene when they're in Cincinnati and we'll get to the worst scene in the movie, I'm sure. But there's when the dad and the son are there and they're watching the game and they Jackie Robinson runs out and the dad starts screaming racial epitaphs at Jackie Robinson. And it felt so freaking contrived. And I just felt like so much of this movie felt like, like you said, protective glass. It felt like this movie was made in protective glass. Yeah. And it. It was made, like you said, it was, it was made to make you feel good and, and made to be, oh, you know, look at how stoic Jackie Robinson was. I was, and something kind of related, I was listening to, um, I was listening to Bomani Jones's podcast right after Henry Aaron passed away. And, and Jeff, one of your, I think colleague, Howard Bryant was on. You, I know you'd had him on, on your, um, on your podcast. And he was talking about that the the discourse around when Henry Aaron passed was like, oh, how stoic he was and and making, you know, a lot of it like kind of made 
white people feel better about, you know, like, oh, you know, everyone changed and Henry Aaron was so stoic, where a lot of the discourse needed to be about, like, look what we did to him and look how, how we made his life hell. And I think that's what Spike Lee's movie would have focused on a little bit more. I just want to say Chipper Jones, a former Brave, when Henry Aaron died, tweeted something to the word, to the, to the uh, genre of, um, he could have been militant and bitter, but he wasn't. And it really rubbed me, and I know a lot of people the wrong way, because I'm sure he was freaking bitter. And when you play through death threats, in a sense, you are being militant because you're saying, screw you, I'm still going to play. And it was almost like, I feel like you really have to wake up and see when you're a white person in America, what you're saying and what you're seeing and what you're witnessing and what's really happening. And so much of what goes on is to make us feel not guilty about what whites have done to blacks. And I feel like a lot of ways this movie, a lot of it was to make you feel good about Branch Rickey giving Jackie Robinson the chance when the flip on that is, what the hell took you so long? Why did it take until 1947 to let a black guy play Major League Baseball? That is insane. That's a that's a pox on white America. That's not, no one deserves any credit for that. That's disgusting. So I don't know. Yeah, I think, and I, I think Spike would have, would have covered that a lot better, but we got what we got. Uh, we're, you know, we're going to cover 42 as it is. And there are some pluses to this movie. Um, a couple of the other uh, IMDb trivia bits that I liked, uh, like the, the guy you just mentioned, Alan Tudyk, claimed that he and Chadwick Boseman deliberately avoid frater- fraternizing while filming scenes together to better convey the animosity between Jackie Robinson and Ben Chapman, which I thought was very effective. Those are probably some of the most like effective scenes in the movie. It was, it was uh, stunning. Um, this is a very good bit of IMDb trivia. This film broke the record for highest box office opening weekend by a baseball movie. The previous record holder. I will give either of you a guess. Emmett, do you have a guess for, and, and this is any baseball movie before 2013? Um, I don't know, because I feel like most baseball movies, they seem to kind of apply to a more specific audience. Because, like, there's not a ton of people who love baseball, like, enough to watch a whole movie about it but this seems to a wider audience so i really have no idea jeff do you have a guess i'm gonna go uh i'm gonna go curveball and say for love of the game uh try the bench warmers starring rob schneider wow a a terrible movie was that on your show have you done that on your podcast i have not and i there are some movies that are so bad it's fun to do i'm not even sure i want to give that one the time of day yeah, I get that. Uh, last one I've got. The movie sanitizes Leo DeRocher's speech to the Dodgers on the eve of the planned strike and protest of the signing of Jackie Robinson. His actual quote was, don't care if the guy is yellow or black or if he has stripes like a fucking zebra. I'm the manager of the team he plays. I I thought I that thought was a good was scene. Funny. I thought that was actually a good scene. His little speech was good. Yeah. Can always count on Christopher Maloney, whether he's solving a dirty crime on SVU or something like this. Can always count on the guy. Uh, so opening question for you guys, is this a, a hall of fame, all-star starter or bench warmer sports film? Emmett, I will start with you. I don't think this is bad enough to be a bench warmer because there are still strong scenes and Chadwick Boseman's really good. So I would say it's the starter. Jeff. I actually went into this movie this time thinking this is the worst thing ever and watching it with Emmett and the wife. I would agree with Emmett. It's a starter. It does have some things that work for it. It's not a complete. Of the movies we've done on this podcast, 
we did We Are Marshall. That might have been the last one we did. Mm-hmm. We Are Marshall is the worst thing ever. This movie is, you know, gone with the wind compared to as far as quality or Casablanca compared to We Are Marshall. So I'd say it's a starter. Yeah, We Are Marshall stinks. I would say this one is a solid starter too. Um, if it's like, if it, when it comes on MOV Network sometimes, like I'll, I'll throw it on for a couple scenes. I, I think there's a couple things in here that I'm like, yeah, I would rewatch that. Um, and, you know, again, Chadwick Boseman is a joy on screen. I think it's, I think it's worth turning him on whenever you have the chance in, in most anything. So, can, so I, can I tell you one other piece of trivia about this movie? Yes, go for it. And I learned this from my friend Jonathan Ike, who was angry because they they took two lines, for, two pieces of information from his book, and never credited him. He couldn't remember both of them, but one was when Red Barber says he, Jackie uh, Robinson's at the plate, and he goes, "Jackie is definitely brunette." And uh, Ike said that was from his book, and they never gave him credit. <laughs> uh, speaking of Red Barber, the uh, that that's like the it might be the second best character, I guess. You mentioned Tudyk, the third best, but but uh, John C. McGinley's Red Barber might be like the third best character in the movie. It's a gr- it's a great little performance. Superb, mm-hmm. I agree. Emmett, that was the announcer. Do you know that? Yeah, name? I know, I know. AKA the guy from Scrubs and uh, and Platoon. So let's get into best scene. And I'll admit, I only I pulled four, and I I was I feel like I was kind of reaching. Okay. Um, and so typically I go in chronologically. You know, the the first meeting with Branch Rickey, I am sure their first meeting was much longer in real life, but it, it outlines a lot of what this movie was about. And it, it definitely outlines the Jackie Robinson story that we are told in, in elementary school or when we're young, a very like a very kind of uh, sanitized version, you know, guy who has the courage not to fight back. I mean, Ricky does get a little nitty gritty when he's talking about this, you know, the slurs he's going to face and um you know, it's 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 an important scene in the film. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Anything with Harrison Ford in this movie, yeah, I just I I, <laughs> and, all, and all his prosthetics and oh. things things just get worse as soon as you hear like the grumble come from like way back into the dugout or something. He's just always there to say something like corny, and it doesn't. He's just not that fun. Wait, he and I mean, I were talking about this the other day. This stuff never happens in real life. It only happens in movies where you'll be like, Mr. Ricky, why do you do, why'd you do this? And Branch Ricky will look off into the distance and say, I was in Pittsburgh. You ever been Pittsburgh? There's peanuts in Pittsburgh. Like you start saying something completely nonsensical and then come to the point of the question that happens over and over again. If you pay attention to this movie, he'll just be like, it'll be like, Mr. Ricky, why is this so important to you? Water is the most important <laughs> important drink out there. Everyone needs water. I understand that age comes for us all and that he was wearing prosthetics, but like that guy used to be the sexiest man on the planet. And like you said, he was like grunting around like the penguin in this movie. Just a sad, sad commentary on what age does to you. It was a bad performance too. I just, Em and I recently watched Cowboys and Aliens, which is a oh. horrible, horrible movie. And Harrison Ford was far better in that than I thought he was in 42. What? How did you carve out two hours in your day worth, like, worth filling it up with that movie? We, we like bad movies. We, we watched all the Gary Coleman movies, which is probably over, like, six hours. Which, I mean, that gave me a pretty good perspective on what, like, after-school movies were. I don't even that know, Kyle, do you even know who Gary Coleman is? I know who Gary Coleman is. All right, yeah, just checking. Uh, You're younger than me. 
All right, just checking. I'm like, I'm twice as old as Emmett. Oh yeah, all right. Well, I'm twice as old as you. We did a Gary Coleman movie marathon, and it was six out. It was six Gary Coleman movies. Emmett lives for the bad. He just watched Spy Kids one, two, and three with a friend of his. He's all about the bad. Emmett, had you? Was that the first time you had seen Spy Kids? Um, I saw like one of them a long time ago because I feel like I think our school had it on like DVD or like something, and they would just always play it. And my friend was like, "Do you want to watch Spy Kids?" So we watched all three Spy Kids, and they were just so awful. I don't know why, like, why was the quality so bad? Like, it it wouldn't be that hard to make it a little better. I mean, it it was the time. It was it was the it early two thousands. So so awful. I saw Spy Kids as a kid in theaters, and like I had this understanding that Spy Kids was the coolest movie ever. And then I was <laughs> hanging out with my son one day, and he when he was little, and it was on like HBO or something. It was on, it was on streaming. And I was like, Oh, we're watching spy kids. Like this is going to be great. And an hour in, I was like, wow, this, I, I wish I would have just let this be. I wish I would have had fonder memories. Um, anyways, the next scene I've got is, uh, is opening day, the opening day scene. It, it's, you know, it's a landmark achievement in history. I think the thing I like the most about it is the great, you know, CGI Ebbets field shots. I love, I will say I love any movie, that is showing old baseball and kind of gets that right. So like this does that really well. I think 61 does that really well. Um, the natural has, I love the old timey baseball feel and like a, a league of their own. I, I love that. So mm-hmm. the, the opening day scene, I, I, and really a lot of the baseball in this movie actually kind of stands out pretty well. Yeah. I think like it looks very good. Like it's very immersive. You're not constantly thinking, Oh, that's not actually there. It looks very like, I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't actually know what that actually looked like. But it looks like it would would be what it is. Hey, hey, Jeff was there though. Yeah, Old I was guy Zinger. My dad's from Brooklyn. My dad, uh, my dad was familiar with Ebert's Field, but I don't think he saw this movie. But um, I do think it's good. It seems like one of the jobs of a movie like this is to make you think. Oh, I wish I was there. Like I wish I was walking the streets of Brooklyn back in 1947. I wish I was walking up to Ebbets Field to see a game. And I thought this movie did that very, very well. Yeah, yeah. The next scene I've got, and I and this is the scene we've we've already kind of discussed, and I think, like, it's the Ben Chapman scene. It's Alan Tudyk as the just outlandish, completely racist, disgusting uh, Philadelphia manager. It's, I think it's really, like, what brought the film the most notoriety. I think that's that was, like, a lot of the press coming from the movie. It's almost surreal how crude it was. Like, it was so racist, it was almost out of place. And I hate to keep coming back to a Spike Lee movie, but this this scene would not have been out of place in a Spike Lee movie. But it was, like, in this movie, it's like it was placed for shock effect to be like, oh, people are really, really bad. Like, you have a couple scenes, you know, you have the scene where they they give away their airplane, you know, seats because Rachel Robinson goes in the bathroom. You have, you know, stuff where they're, you know, they're telling uh, Jackie Robinson, he better get out of there. You know, he better leave that house or whatever. But this is like shock value. Like, Oh wait, the 1940s were really bad for black people. And it, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb, but I mean, Jeff, kind of like you said, it's the, the most notable scene in the movie. It's the best scene in the movie by far, times a thousand. I mm-hmm. um, I feel like I don't think this is a movie you can make an argument for Chadwick Boseman to win an Academy Award. Like I thought he was excellent, but it's not an Academy Award winning performance. 
I thought, is it, what is it, Tudyk? Alan Tudyk. I thought Alan Tudyk, if you gave that guy Best Supporting Actor, you know, every now and then someone wins for a very small sliver of a, of a role. He was electrifying. He really was. He owned those scenes. And those scenes were the freaking, they were just, and maybe it's because so much of the rest of the movie was so glossy that that really stood out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, a, it was a moment. And I actually thought they almost ruined it when Jackie goes into the, uh, into the um, hallway and all of a sudden Branch Ricky is there and he's giving him, huh, you got to go out there. And it's like, dude, you've been talking to him for 15 minutes. Half of the next inning is over by now. You got to stop. I thought that was like, they almost kind of stole from the moment. But I thought that moment was amazing. I thought the follow-up where he agrees to pose for a photo with him was also really powerful. Best, The best moments in that movie by far. Yeah, I mean, what did you think? I think that... That, but yes, definitely the best, the best like scene in that movie. And I think the shock, part of the shock from that is like the other times where there's like large acts of racism throughout the movie, like with the house and the plane tickets, like they were a little hidden, but like he was in front of everyone in the stadium. So it's like, yeah, everyone is fine with this. This is just how it is. And I think also when he like goes in the dugout and he breaks the bat, I think that's good because it's like it shows that he he looks he looks like he's got no emotion, but he's really feeling something. And then Harrison Ford shows up and messes everything up. But other than that, it's pretty good. Again, it is just crazy. Like he was the, I mean, he was Han Solo. He was Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. It's just. Man, time time is cruel. Uh, the last one I have is the the Pee Wee Reese which is I I think the most like cliche classic Jackie Robinson mm-hmm. moment. It's like I mean this moment in in real life history gets a statue, but I'm not sure the movie lands it. But I felt like I needed to include it. All we got is right here. Thank you, Jackie. What are you thanking me for? I got family out there from Louisville. I need them to know. I need them to know who I am. Hey, number one! You playing ball or socializing? Playing ball, huh? Play ball! Playing ball. Maybe tomorrow we'll all wear 42. That way they won't tell us apart. That's that's the one with the 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 one day we'll all be wearing whatever, right? That is that is that which Pee Wee Reese did not say. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, I kind of assumed that. That's like way too obvious. I mean, it's like oh, wink wink, maybe we will. Um, but it's like it's so. That's like the feel good moment. That's the moment that comes after all like the major racism scenes. And the hard points in the movie, really. And it's like, th- things are good now. People are changing. But it's like way too obvious about it. Jeff? All right, so Kyle, you got to give me give me, give me, me a minute of ranting. Is that okay? You have as much as you want. I think that might be the worst scene in any movie I've ever seen in my life. I hate that scene. It almost causes me to hate this movie. And it's amazing I watched the movie again with Emmett and thought, oh, this isn't that bad. I hate that scene so much for so many reasons. Number one, 
he didn't put his arm around Jackie Robinson in 1947. Like that literally didn't happen. And after watching the movie that night, I actually went to newspapers.com, looked up the next game stories, and it's never mentioned. And certainly if Pee Wee Reese had put his arm around Jackie Robinson in Ohio, it would have been mentioned. It wasn't, didn't happen. I asked Jonathan Ike that, didn't happen. Then the whole, first of all, a way uncomfortable long amount of time to have your arm around someone else, male or female, mm-hmm. just creepy weird. And the, as Emma noted, the whole, ho oh, oh, maybe one day we're all wear 42. Like, I'm all for experimenting with writing. I don't like dogging other writers, but that's a really bad wit. When I was a young journalist, someone said to me, um, if it comes too easy, it's not good. Like if a line comes too easy, it's not good. I once wrote in a story, uh, this guy was one of the biggest busts since Mount Rushmore. And someone said, if it comes too easy, it's not a good line. That's terrible. (laughs) And that's what this felt like. It was so easy and so obvious and it just sucked. I hate that line with everything in my body. I think it's a ruinous line. It's lazy. If Spike Lee, if Spike Lee were doing this movie and the writer wrote that, he'd be like, no freaking way are we putting that in this movie. No way. Terrible. You are you are very welcome. That was I, I agree. Um did I miss any any scenes, anything that stands out that you guys enjoy? I guess actually one thing that was not in my notes, the um Leo DeRocher handling that kind of like mutiny. Uh, that, that was, that was that actually was pretty, pretty good. good. Um, I did like the scene when Jackie was learning how to play first base and they had him at first and the guy was just hit. It's a small little sliver. It's not the best scene in the movie, but the coach was hitting him grounders like, at first. It's like the Rocky training montage. I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Honorable mention to just a lot of the baseball in this movie, like the sprint when Jackie's playing for Montreal. I mean, there's just, um, they do a really this movie does a really, really good job with baseball. Again, I, I've talked about this. I've still never named this scale, but there's like the sliding scale of how good athletics, like athletics need to look just based on year. Like baseball in 1947 doesn't need to look as good as baseball, you know, depicted in 2021. But for 1947, they, they get it pretty good. And uh, Jackie Robinson's stunt double or uh, Chadwick Boseman's stunt double was a former minor league ball player. Actually, interviewed him many, many years ago, and um, he made it look really good. Like if you watch the way Jackie Robinson runs in the old clips, and then you watch the way Jackie Robinson runs in the movie, uh, his approach to hitting, blah, blah blah, it's pretty well done. I thought. You did you email the player for something else, or you emailed him for this, or you interviewed him for this movie? No, I did it because uh, I used to have a Quaz Q and A section on my website, and I was just—I think I was Facebook friends with him, so I was just like, "Would you want to do it?" Because I just seen Forty Two. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. He's a stunt double for Jackie Robinson. Well, what a, what a connection. How did you wait until 30 minutes into the podcast to drop that? I don't know. I just forgot about it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I know the guy who was a stunt double. He uh, he, he played double A with the Cubs. I don't think he ever made the majors. Uh, just Shea Balcom, I think, was his name. Is there any argument that there is any better scene than the, the Ben Chapman scene? No. I think we are settled there. Let's take a quick ad break and get back with best quote. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so best quote. Did anyone pull, I mean, I, Jeff, you know, we just got done with you talking about what, what I believe is your, is your least favorite quote. Ever. In this movie. No, did, ever. Not just in this movie. Ever. In the history of humanity. <laughs> wow. Whew. I mean, that, we, I mean, there's got to be something from Teen Wolf or Teen Wolf 2 that, that gets up there. But uh, Emmett, did you have, was there a quote in this movie that, that you could pull that is, is something that you would consider the best of this movie? I think, I don't know. I feel like none of the, the lines from the actual movie are that memorable to me. I remember Harrison Ford said something interesting, but I think that only stood out to me because everything else he said wasn't interesting. So I don't actually remember any of the real lines. Mine is actually a Harrison Ford line, a Branch Rickey line from this movie. What was it? It is the one where he said, I see he resents segregation. If he were white, we'd call that spirit. And I, I think that was actually a good line because that is something that is something that is translated to this day in terms of how we how we talk about people of different of different races, how we, you know, the just different ways we perceive people based on what they're doing. Yeah. Well said. Jeff, did you have a, a best quote from this one? I do, and you uh, alluded to it, but I will read. I, I found it, and I'll read the whole thing. It's Leo DeRocher. I don't care if he's yellow or black or has stripes like a zebra. If Robinson can help us win, and everything I've seen says he can, then he's going to play in this ball club. Like it, lump it, make your minds up to it, because he's coming. And think about this when your heads hit the pillow tonight. He's only the first, boys, only the first. There are more coming every day, and they have got talent, and they want to play. And they're going to come scratching and diving. So I would forget your petition and worry about the field because unless you fellas pay a little more attention to your work, they're going to run you right out of the ballpark. It's a good line. It is. And it was, I mean, it was timely. I mean, because the next year, I believe Roy Campanella and Don Newcomb show up and it's off to the races after that until, you know, until we get to present day when, you know, we're, unfortunately, there's never been fewer black players in baseball since Jackie Robinson, which, which sucks. It's It's crazy. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's part of baseball, not marketing their sport, not making it accessible to as many kids, but that's a topic for a different podcast. Uh, Most and least authentic sports centric parts of the movie Uh, with a, with a movie that is actually like based on a true story. A lot of the times they don't mess up the sports that much. And this one, the actual baseball of it, I thought that like, I thought Bozeman looked good. I thought his stunt double looked good. I thought the film did a good job showing old baseball. That's kind of what I had is what was the most authentic. I thought the baseball felt, felt good. Jeff, was there anything else that you could pull from this as super authentic? Um, you know, the, the manager who took over after DeRosa was fired, I was curious about the whole not wearing a uniform and actually didn't wear a uniform. Not only that, the guy looked just, the actor they found, Looked just like the manager at that time. I thought that was um, that was really well done, and um, I thought I thought visually the movie was beautiful and very well done and very precise. So I had no beef. Um, I think 
it was like everything was good, but it was a little weird how like almost every time Jackie Robinson got on base, he would like steal three bases. It was it was kind of weird. Like he would he he would just steal like a ton. I don't know if that was a thing he did, but like it felt like every single time he got a hit, he would always steal like two or three bases. He didn't have crazy Ricky Henderson steal rates because I will say after I watched the movie, I was like, I need, I, I want to go look at Jackie Robinson's stat line. Like, you know, I want to see what he was actually doing. Jackie Robinson was insanely good at baseball, and he only played ten years in the big leagues, and he accumulated over sixty wins above replacement, which is that is an astonishing clip, just just incredible. Um, but uh, yeah, he uh, he didn't have like I think his his season high in steals was thirty seven when he was thirty. I mean, because he broke in at twenty eight, and by then that's like around the time like when guys hit thirty, they really stop running as much. Um, it's just it's it's hard on your body. And not only had he played all those years of baseball, he had played football in college. He had played a bunch of other sports. He had run track. Like his legs were probably. It, it it was probably tough getting out of bed in the morning if you were Jackie Robinson when you got later later in the years. Mm-hmm. Fields, you know, it was old stuff that fields weren't as well maintained. Totally different world than you know the one we have now. Yeah, as far as least authentic, I, I'm not sure. I I couldn't really pull anything legitimately sports wise that was like this is glaringly unrealistic to me. It's something like in, in other movies, like a like in Summer Catch or Trouble with a Curve. I have a couple, but Emmett, do you have any? Not really. All right, I have a few here. Uh, number one, there was one factual error that drove me crazy. Uh, in his last appearance behind the mic, Red Barber says, like, Jackie Jackie has stolen so-and-so bases and he has yet to be caught. And I, I remember hearing that the first time I saw it and thinking, did I mishear that? But then I heard it again. He, he had 11, he's caught 11 times caught stealing. I just thought that was a sloppy little thing to get in there because, you know. Um, number two, Emma and I talked about this. Emma probably just doesn't remember it or didn't come to his mind. His leads off of first were preposterous. He's like halfway between bases. It was ridiculous. And also the whole like cat and mouse thing, but it was almost embarrassing the way they did it. It wasn't like I grew up watching Ricky Henderson and Ricky Henderson was just the most dynamic base stealer I've ever seen. And the way he would take these leads and they were huge and he would kind of egg, he would have his fingers twitching between his legs and he would egg the pitcher on. But this was kind of ridiculous and I felt like they tried making Jackie Robinson seem like Ricky Henderson. He stole 29 bases that year. He was caught 11 times. He wasn't a Ricky Henderson. He wasn't taking leads that were halfway between first and second. I just thought that was a little unrealistic. And the other thing that really bothered me every time I saw this movie, there were a couple of times when Jackie Robinson hit home runs in this movie and he would stand at the plate and watch him. And back then, nobody stood at the plate and watched a home run leave the park. It just wasn't done. Especially the only black guy in the league who's already having to watch out for for beanballs. Exactly. And I actually thought there were a couple of lazy moments in the the movie where they let modern culture impact. Like there's a, there's a scene, it's a really not good scene, but when Ralph Branca is trying to get Jackie Robinson to take a shower. And if you look in that scene, Jackie Robinson is wearing his hat backwards. I'm like... Guys back then just didn't do that. Like, you didn't wear a backwards cap. It wasn't a thing. It didn't even exist. It wasn't culture. It wasn't a thing. Little tiny things like that that nobody would give a crap about except me kind of annoy me. I appreciate the nitpicky stuff, though. Yeah. Because I didn't... I, I 
I'll admit I wasn't as checked into this movie. I think that's a mark kind of on the movie. There are movies that I either, like when I watch Trouble with the Curve or when I watch like Summer Catch, which is a movie I begrudgingly enjoy, but is is truly bad. Like I'm engaged enough where I'm like, I'm just picking the thing apart. I'm like, that's not realistic. That's not realistic. And then like baseball movies are really like, I'm like, okay, I, I, I like that. That's good. Like I, I'm paying more attention. This one is, you're kind of just there. Um, this movie kind of just cruises at like an even, you know, like five miles under the speed limit, which is weird considering the topic. Oh yeah. I mean, and imagine like the Spike Lee again, like I, I hate keep coming back to it, but imagine like the Spike Lee version, like the, the score he's going to put on that and it just, oh God, be, be amazing. Like black Klansman, but Jackie Robinson just, don't you think this movie was probably audience tested a million times? And they didn't want to turn off the white audience. And look, we need to have people in Iowa and Kentucky see this movie. So we have to be really careful. And we got to tiptoe. And, you know, we did our audience surveys. And some of them think that Jackie seems a little too angry. If we could dial that back just a little bit. It just felt like it was very tested for safety. Oh, yeah. Because Spike Lee isn't for everyone. For sure. Yeah. Um, So, guys, what worked in this one? Emmett, when you think about what you enjoyed about this one. Anything, anything that might be what, what worked, what made this movie at least a solid starter? I think because like the, the production quality was pretty high, it makes like everything feel much more immersive. I mean, comparing to like the absolute minimum, which is Gary Coleman. Um, (laughs) it's, it's like you watch those movies and it feels every second you're thinking this is a Gary Coleman movie. I'm watching a Gary Coleman movie. But when I watch this movie, it feels you're much more invested because the, you see a lot more and you notice a lot more. And I think that works pretty well. It feels like you're in the time period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeff, what about you? You know, I thought some of the supporting actors were actually excellent. I I didn't love that let's take a shower scene. I just thought it was corny. But the guy who played Ralph Branca, uh, I never heard of him, Hamish Linkletter. I thought it was great. And the funny one is Lucas Black played Pee Wee Reese and Lucas Black was in uh, Sling Blade. And if you follow him on Twitter now, and I just looked, he is insane. Like he's far, 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 hardcore, right, conservative Christian, like creepy. I thought his Pee Wee Reese was great. I thought it was nuanced. I thought he was a character you liked. Forget the stupid arm around your, you know, Jackie Robinson scene. Um, He looked like, the actor looked like he knew how to play baseball. I just thought it worked. I thought some of the some of those characters are very, very good. Um, and I agree with everything Emmett said. I thought it was an immersive movie. It's a big month for Lucas Black on this podcast, as last week we covered Friday Night Lights, a movie that is is much, much better than this movie. Yeah, and he's great um, in that, too. Uh, he's great. And I, I remember when I first saw that movie, I was like, wow, that guy is laying on the Southern way too thick. Like, what a fake-ass accent. And like, nope, he's just from Alabama, and he really talks like that. He's just the twang, twangiest person on the planet. Considering Lucas Black wouldn't get recognized walking down a street in most areas, that's a pretty big threesome right there. Sling Blade, Friday Night Lights, 42, for an actor who's largely been forgotten. Well, and now he's on, uh, He's he's got that regular cable network money. I think he's on one of the variations of NCIS, which is like a really nice living. Yeah, yeah, good for him. I would take that. I would absolutely take that. Um, I agree kind of going off what Emmett said. I think like the production quality is there. It, it makes you, you know, feel like you're in the time period, all the set design. 
I think it's I think it's really good. Um, it never it certainly never takes you out of it, especially the baseball. Sometimes in a sports movie, the baseball or the the stuff will be so bad that it'll take you out of it. And this movie never does that. Um, I think any life in this movie is just due to Chadwick Boseman, though. Um, any you know his. It would be very interesting to see like two versions: what he would be like if he was in a darker Jackie Robinson movie, which I think he would crush, or what this movie would be like with someone who is who is less capable. Like if you ask like, if you ask like Marlon Wayans to do this, <laughs> that would not go well. <laughs> yeah. Like some, like some, you know, or like, um, Omar Epps, who's fine, but he's not Chadwick Boseman. You don't think like Mackay Pfeiffer could have pulled this off? Oh, Mackay Pfeiffer has this role in an after school special in like 1999. <laughs> Like he he would he would have done this and then he'd go into Eight Mile. The one thing um, Jonathan Ike said to me is he thought Chadwick Boseman was a little too likable. Like he he said Jackie Robinson wasn't really that likable. Um, that he didn't have the warmth I think that Chadwick Boseman has. But that's you know yeah. I mean what 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 did you expect them? To yeah be no no no. I agree with you and also like it is a movie and it is interpretive and. You're allowed to play. You're not literally becoming Jackie Robinson. You're playing Jackie Robinson. If you want to add something or that's who you are, it's going to come out. Yeah. In this movie, to get this done, it also had to have the Rachel Robinson stamp of approval. And like Rachel Robinson has is an amazing woman who's done amazing things, but she is absolutely not allowed. She's not about to let anyone besmirch her long dead husband. Um, I agree. And I do want to say, so the woman who plays Rachel Robinson, Nicole Bahari, is a great actress. She truly is. She's been in some great stuff. And we saw a movie recently. It was called Miss Juneteenth that she was in. She was so freaking good. And I feel like in this, she was basically like, she's very, very pretty. And I felt like they reduced her to pretty wife who every now and then says, oh, Jack, or look at me, baby, or it's going to be okay. And if I were her, I would have walked away from this experience being like, that's fucking it. That's where you need. I could have done that in three days. Why was I here for a month and a half? It's interesting. The Friday Night Lights from last week's movie, they did the same thing with Connie Britton. They had a very talented actress and they just like did not give her the ball at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good, good transition into what didn't work about this one. Um, they didn't let, they didn't let her cook at all in this. Um, you know, I, I think throughout this pod, my biggest knock on this movie has been like what it's not. Can't really do anything about that. This is the movie they made. It's you know, but um, it, it's just it's very surface level. It's like it's like in between Disney movie and serious in depth baseball civil rights movie, but it's not really either. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I actually agree. And um, you can't really have it both ways and be great. Like, all right, you know, what, Kyle, this is what I would say. They were not trying to make a great movie. They were trying to make a movie that would appeal to a wide audience. And I feel like Spike Lee, maybe he would have nailed it. Maybe he would have butchered it because he he has gone both ways at times. He would have gone for it. Like he would have gone for the great movie. He would have gone for the oh, great percent Right. And this they did not go for that here. They wanted to make a movie that's going to appeal to a wide audience. It's going to make audiences walk away feeling good about themselves and whites feel good and calling their black friend and going out for pizza and saying, look, this is great. I have a black friend. Now we're going out for pizza. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks, Jackie Robinson. And that's usually different than trying to make a great movie. Yeah. Before we recorded this, I I went, I wanted to try to get some reviews and reviews from, you know, both sides. I really want to get people of color. And then one of my like favorite movie writers, movie podcasters, Wesley Morris has a very, 
subpar review of this movie. Not subpar in his writing. His writing's amazing, but he's just not impressed. And it, it's it's more a letdown. It, they they played this really safe, and um, you know they they could have really gone for it, and it completely blown up. And you know, and then suddenly it's it's not. 42 the quality baseball movie that you know shines a light on jackie robinson uh it's 42 the movie that disgraced jackie robinson and jackie robinson's story and i I don't think this movie did that i don't think this movie disgraced jackie robinson by you know by by any means so i i think it you know they 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 took the safe money they didn't buy the gamestop stocks no they did not um wait there were two things also em and i talked about that we kind of laughed about. Emma, you agree with this, right? The the kid who like... It's like, it's, I guess it's like that he inspired the next generation of black baseball players, but it, it has so little correlation to the actual story that unless you know who the guy is, it's like impossible to actually get anything from it. Yeah. I Don't you think, Kyle, don't you think someone read the script... And was like, all right, we have the racist white kid yelling the N-word at Jackie Robinson. We, somewhere we need a black kid who's, who's really good and inspired by Jack. Here, why don't we insert that here on page 74? Let's just get that in here. We'll just shove it. Just get it in there. Make it, make it work, okay? And the writer's like, uh, I don't know if that, if that works. Look, we're paying you to do this, okay? And that's how that scene ended up in the movie. Yeah, it wasn't... They didn't go for any, like, subtle Jackie-inspired all these, you know, kids. It was like you know, on the nose, like, hey, look at what happened because Jackie inspired these kids. Like, obviously, obviously, he was an inspiration for children, for black children everywhere. It was super like, contrived. It was super, yeah. super. Oh, the other one that drove me crazy, Emma and I, I think we talked about this too. So as a journalist, they have Wendell Smith, the writer. I have no problem with that character in this movie. But it's the end of the movie and he has his typewriter on his lap and he writes... Robinson rounds third and then he pauses like trying to come up with a great line and he writes headed for home sweet home and he like nods and smiles like he just wrote you know his 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 greatest work if I handed in the Nat shit when I was at Sports Illustrated they'd be like what is this corny cliched nonsense and with a big red line through it and I just saw when he's like headed for home sweet home it was like, come on, you couldn't have done better. You couldn't have gotten some journalist to write you a better ending to a story. Speaking of Wendell Smith, did you guys know that he is in the best baseball movie of the last 20 years? What would that be? What is that? That would be 2008 Sugar. Oh, love that movie. Sugar is excellent. He is, uh, he's like the first round pick who, who, who is friends with Sugar while he's in A-ball. Wow, interesting. Sugar is a movie that actually handles, handles like race and it, Sugar is an immigrant story, but it, it, it does a very good job. It's just a phenomenal movie. I saw a screening of that, an advanced screening of that. I think I was, I don't know, maybe I was on Newsday when that came out or somewhere. And I walked away from that movie thinking, this is the best sports movie I've ever seen. And I think you and I are the only two people who saw it. Uh, me, you, and J.J. Cooper from Baseball America, who was my guest when I cover it. But it is fantastic. I tell everyone I can to, like, go see Sugar. Right, is, M and I will watch Sugar. Yeah. Yes. I, don't, I don't even know where it's streaming, but you can definitely stream it. You can at least rent it. Um, it's great. So the Kevin Costner, Freddie Prince Jr. Awards for best and worst on-screen athlete. I have a very niche pick for best. The, the lefty throwing for the Phillies in the Chapman scene was a dude. 
He played baseball for sure. The way he held his glove was not how a guy in 1940 held his glove. It was like a guy now holds his glove, and you like he had good arm action. Like I would bet he was he was at least sitting in the 80s. Like that guy played. That guy was a stud. Wow. Wait, which one was that? Which which guy? Yeah, he's the pitcher throwing for the Phillies in the Chapman scene. Uh huh. Who had like those really defined like jawline? No, that was a Pirates pitcher. Oh. The the racist Pirates pitcher. Okay, well I don't I don't remember. That, oh, so that that pitcher. Um, you told me this uh, that that he he and his family were upset on how he was portrayed in the movie on how he like threw the ball at Jackie Robinson's head and how he was like the bad guy, but he never actually did that. So he was actually, he died a long time ago, but his mm-hmm. daughter saw the movie and was like, what the hell is this? My dad wasn't like this. And um, I was saying the other day, if that guy were alive and this movie had come out, he easily, you know, unless he was just a horrible racist, could have sued because he, he definitely never threw at Jackie Robinson. In fact, that final scene, Jackie Robinson hitting the home run, that's supposed to be the final day of the season. It happened like two days earlier, and it was a home run that didn't have an impact on the game. So, but that's Hollywood for you. Yeah. So, t- actually, two things with that. So that that story about the the guy's family being mad. I remembered that story, but I had thought that it was about Ben Chapman, the racist manager. And so I went to look it up because I was gonna I was gonna you know bring that story to this recording of the podcast and say yeah Ben Chapman and Ben Chapman's family were like no I wasn't racist, but it was actually that guy you're referring to, Ben Chapman. It turns out was actually very racist. They got him exactly right. He was he was saying the someone interviewed him in like 1979 and asking him if he said that stuff and he said the exact same shit he said in the movie and why he said it and stuff. So, uh Ben Chapman, do do not rest in peace. Um you mentioned the the home run to end the season. This is something also the movie got wrong in that no one gave a shit about the Dodgers season and we weren't really supposed to like, you don't, you don't really care that the movie didn't need to end with him getting the Dodgers into the world series. Cause it wasn't a, it wasn't about that. Right. It wasn't about the Dodgers season. He did so much more than just be a good player for the Dodgers. Like he was a great player for the Dodgers. It certainly helped that he was a great, great player for the Dodgers and, you know, and, and became very famous and and broke the color but it's about breaking the color barrier it's not like you didn't need to 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 fix it around that suddenly like there's this big game this movie didn't need a big game this movie wasn't about a big game you don't need to manufacture this drama when you've got all this other shit that's actually there i think i mean it's a baseball movie and it has a lot of baseball scenes but the focus isn't really on what happens in the games like he 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 wins a game, but like that doesn't lead into anything because there's no like the the goal isn't to win; it's to like make a difference in baseball. So he doesn't. It doesn't really matter if they go to the World Series or not. It's just like he plays well, and that's the difference. Yeah, it's it. it 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 was kind of like meaningless to to try to make it like there's stakes. There didn't need to be stakes. Um, the Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character. I had three nominees. I had, uh, I, I'm going to add four nominees, actually, because Christopher Maloney is Leo DeRocher. I really didn't give him his due when I was doing my notes. Um, Andre Holland is Wendell Smith. I more wrote him down just because I wanted to talk about sugar, but we already did that. Uh, John C. McGinley is Red Barber. 
Um, he's kind of in like a different movie. There's not a, a lot of character actor type performances in this one, and he's kind of like really going for it and succeeding. Um, and then Alan Tudyk is Ben Chapman. Chapman. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's really a question about that. Yeah. He was the best guy in the movie. I thought he was the best guy in the movie. Alan Tudyk is the ultimate, like, sixth man supporting character. Like, he, I mean, he is in so much stuff because he does a ton of voice acting. Um, but he's like, he's Steve the Pirate in Dodgeball, which is fantastic. He's in A Knight's Tale, another movie uh, directed by this director. He's fantastic in A Knight's Tale. Um, if you had young kids when Wreck It Ralph came out, like I did, uh, he is King Candy in Wreck It Ralph which is very popular oh, with the youth. Wow. Um, yeah, he's just been in a lot of stuff and does a ton of voice acting and is just like, he's Iago in the, the live-action Aladdin. Like he, I mean, his IMDb is astounding. He has been in Star Wars. He has been in Aladdin. He has been in, you know... He's just one of those guys that's in stuff, but like you don't realize that he's just in everything. Yeah, yeah. He's like, and he's so talented. Like, I hope he has a ton of money. Like, I, I hope he is just rolling in it. I don't know how much, like, his career itself pays, but I hope he is so much, like, has so much more money than we think he does. Um, the big chill moment. I'm going to leave this up to you guys. Is there a moment in this movie where you got the chills? Emmett, I will start with you. I mean, I didn't, but I think if if I were to, it would probably be when... I mean, until Harrison Ford shows up, when he, like, slams the bat and, like, breaks it, and he's, like, yelling in the, the tunnel, and then Harrison Ford shows up and everything is bad. But before that, I think it's pretty good. Jeff? Mine is the, uh, mine is the scene in Cincinnati, but it's not good hair raise. It's like, I'm embarrassed to be sitting here watching this scene. Yeah. Hair it's the stupid chills. It's the stupid chill. I hate that feeling, too. It's like, you know, nails on a chalkboard where you just feel like an idiot watching something and like, isn't there like something to vacuum in the house, but I'm stuck here watching this horrible scene. So that's my least favorite. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's not a lot. This isn't, unfortunately, this isn't that kind of movie. Yeah. Um, so for how to improve it, I will just throw it out there that um, I, I want to combine how to improve it in our last category before more restore. Uh, prequel, sequel, or remake. I would love to see the Jackie Robinson story, you know, tackled again. And how it improved that, I would love to see, obviously, Spike, but maybe like Ryan Coogler, Regina King. I would love to see what someone else with a little deeper vision does with this movie. What about you guys? Emmett, what would you do to improve this one? Um, I mean, I think you cut out a lot uh, I mean, this was obviously a movie that was intended for, like, a specific, more open audience so that if you really like Jackie Robinson and that story, you can enjoy it. But also, if you're a kid who doesn't know that much, you can enjoy it, too. But I would like if they cut out the stuff that was there just for that, and it, like, they got rid of the Disney part, which it wasn't actually a Disney movie, but if they get rid of the stuff that would be a Disney movie... Where it's like, oh, someday we'll all be wearing that number. Like, the take a shower with us. Those are all scenes that they don't actually contribute anything. And they're just, like, goofy. And I don't... I think they should just be out and maybe replaced with something that says a little more. Jeff, what about you? I wrote it down. 
Here's my one key thing I would do. Harrison Ford out, Wilford Brimley in. <laughs> oh, is, is Wilford Brimley still with us? No, he's dead now, but he was with us when that movie was made. When did, when did, when did Wilford Brimley? He died last year. But he would, I'm telling you, I left this movie thinking maybe Harrison Ford isn't that good of an actor. And then I started thinking about the movies he's been in. I was like, I don't know. Is he a good actor? Like, did, was Han Solo in Indiana? I think honestly, like, people like him because Han Solo and Indiana Jones are such likable characters. Yeah. Maybe he's not that good of an actor. He really butchered this. Let's not get crazy. Let's not get my pod canceled for for Harrison Ford slander. Okay, The Fugitive. Yeah, he was good in The Fugitive. The Fugitive is Fugitive is wonderful. That was a good movie. It is uh it is one of those ones that I will turn on whenever it is on cable. Yeah, that we do that too. He has been in but he was in uh Cowboys and Aliens. And regarding Henry. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, I'm looking through the IMDb. I I mean, a I mean, lot of misses. Blade Runner is still really good. We've never seen that. A lot of misses in, a, in Harrison Ford's career. I'm just saying. Who is he in Apocalypse Now? I didn't even know he was in it. That is, I don't know. What a what a weird way to end this end this podcast. Um, you know, can <laughs> I make one more point, Kyle? Yes. There's one thing that bothered me, and I just really want to get this out there. One of the uh, entities that became a villain in this movie was the city of Pittsburgh. Like whenever someone was traded, it was like. Like multiple times. It was like, Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh's a great freaking city. I love Pittsburgh. Now, they weren't good that year, but they didn't really make that clear. It just sounded like they were being exiled to like Tulsa. But Pittsburgh is a great city. And that bothered me. Pittsburgh has the ballpark that is probably in the top three in my bucket list of ballparks I really want to visit. Exactly. It's supposed to be amazing. But it's a great city. So, just saying. Put some more respect on the name of Pittsburgh 42. Well, guys, this was great. As always, uh... At some point, we got to cover like a really good movie. Because mm-hmm. okay, so J- Emmett, you sat out. We are Marshall, but we've done. We are Marshall. We've done. No, d- I think was I there for We Are. Marshall? You sat out something. No, I did sit out something. There's something. Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf. Teen, Teen Wolf, Wolf Two. two. Forty Two. Is that it? Forty. I thought there was one more. Oh I yeah, really everybody's all American. That's what Emmett did not do. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Great. I actually. I actually have a Teen Wolf two poster in my room that I'm looking at right now, where it's it's the it's the the two fighters for like the the big champion boxing ma- match. It's Steve Gus Gustafson, which is the worst nickname of all time. It's just a shorter version of your last name, and then um, Todd the Wolf Howard. See, that's a fun like n- piece of nostalgia merch, though. Like I, I I would buy I would much rather buy Teen Wolf Two merch than watch Teen Wolf Two. I actually think you emailed me that and I printed it out, Kyle. Is that is that what it was? Oh, so you didn't even buy it? No, I just yeah, <laughs> no, I printed no, it out. No, 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 no. We printed it out. I was about to say, who did you screw out of like meager royalties for that one? I just printed it out. That's funny. Oh man. At some point we need to cover like a good movie. We're in. Yeah, I, yeah, have you done I, I, Sugar yeah. on this podcast? Yeah, I did. I did sugar. Sugar is one I'm going to revisit at some point just because I covered sugar and it was the same. Actually, Friday Night Lights, the last week's episode was actually kind of a redo. I covered sugar in like the first 10 episodes of this podcast where I was in the old name. I was still very stiff on the mic. I was taking bad notes. Uh, I, I'd like to think that I've gotten better. This podcast has gotten better since then. So it is one I'd like to revisit, especially because it's just 
it's such an important movie. It's it's just it. And I mean, especially now, like, and especially after the last four years, like, it's an immigrant story. Um, it actually it has aged very well in terms of what's going on with baseball and how baseball has restructured itself. It inadvertently aged really well in the movie. It only depicts there being A ball, double A, and triple A, when in reality, baseball until this coming year had, uh, you know, numerous minor league levels, multiple short season levels, and, and stuff like that. And now they've really cut it down. So guys from the Dominican Republic are going to have to go from living at the, the complex in Arizona or Florida to out on their own in cities like, you know, Cedar Rapids or Bumfuck anywhere. And it's going to be a tough transition. So. Um, yeah, that, all that being said, sugar is great. We should, we should cover sugar. Everyone should watch sugar. Go do that right now. How about, how about Gary Coleman's the kid from left field? I mean, I just, I, I don't, it's a, it's it's great. It's a timeless classic. The problem. So doing this podcast, I have had to commit time to a lot of bad movies. No, this is a great one. No, no, no. This is Robert Guillaume is in it. He used to be Benson. It's really good. I feel like you're lying. To we me. are not lying to you. A- <laughs> we could do we could do the kid with the broken halo. There's sports in that. Ah, oh, man, you're really really trying to get me to watch a Gary Coleman movie. <laughs> They're all on YouTube. Here, wait, of all the Gary Coleman's you can watch, the kid with the broken halo is the, the best Gary Coleman movie. So it gives you the full experience. We do this podcast, and I tell you guys to go watch Defy Bloods, which is a fantastic Spike Lee film, and you, in return, tell me to go watch Gary Coldman, the kid <laughs> from left field. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I'll go watch a Different Strokes rerun. That's fair. Different Strokes kind of goes. From left field is basically three Gar- three different stroke episodes put together. That, that it, When you put it like that, that actually makes it sound a lot better. Thanks. Well... Guys, this was fun. Uh, always a pleasure. Jeff, tell the folks where they can find your podcast and where they can catch your book. And if you have an ETA on the, the next book that I am eagerly, eagerly anticipating. Well, the next one is a Bo Jackson biography, and it's due. I'm handing it in in October. So usually it comes out about eight months after. So I don't know. And my podcast, Two Writers Sling and Yang, is you can, you know, it's everywhere where podcasts are. And my books are everywhere where books are. And thanks, Kyle. This is always a, a joy. And you, you let me spend time with my son, who I pretty much abandoned during the pandemic and locked in the basement. So this is nice. <laughs> it is we're always only a about pleasure. twenty. Go we're ahead. only about twenty feet away, but we never see yeah, each other. It's nice. We just throw him raw meat. It works out well. You're, you're teaching me how to be a better father. I appreciate that. Yeah, raw meat. We've we've all we've all learned different parenting techniques during the pandemic. But guys, it, it is always a pleasure. And if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports. Big Screen Sports. Please remember, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Rate, leave a review. You folks know the drill. Also, if you are a baseball fan, check out my bi-weekly interview series from Phenom to the Farm that is presented by Baseball America, talking to a different former professional baseball player every year about their career, a good retrospective, things they do differently. Uh, that comes at you every other Tuesday. As for Big Screen Sports, comes at you every every other Monday. And thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.